You're listening to the Poema Church Podcast. Thanks for joining us. We hope that this message encourages you, challenges you, and inspires you to see God in a real way. For more information about Poema Church, visit poemachurch.ca. Enjoy the message. Good morning. Hope you're doing well. Uh, if I haven't had the pleasure of meeting you yet, my name is uh, Josh, and uh, I'm the junior youth and young adults pastor here at Poema in Hamilton, um, with my lovely wife, who's paparazziing me right now. <laughs> Don't worry, it's not for vanity reasons. We just get emails, we need more photos, so it's just like, more photos, so it's just for that, more photos for social media and whatnot. Um, it's not going to go on my Facebook profile. <laughs> Do people still use that? Um, (laughs) Do we? Do we still use Facebook? Yeah, we do. Okay. Um, So we're in a series uh, called New Year, Same You. And um, if you don't know what a series is, it's basically what we do is we take a few weeks to focus in on one concept or one idea so that we can kind of all get on the same page. People are um, generally nervous kind of to come to church, and that's fair enough because much has been made of making people feel bad, and that was kind of like the point for a long time. But sometimes if you can know a little bit about what you're getting yourself into, you can decide, maybe I will go or maybe I won't go. So there's something about this idea of New Year, Same You, where you're like, oh, okay, maybe I'll, I'll, maybe I'll hear them out on that one. If it said death, you probably wouldn't be here. So <laughs> that's the idea behind a series. And we take a few weeks, and, and like I said, we just kind of get, get on the same page. But uh, kind of like, um, did anybody get that text this morning? The crazy <laughs> nuclear plant text? <laughs> What was that about? (laughs) Don't worry, nothing to see here. This nuclear plant is A-OK, just in case you're wondering. (laughs) I wasn't wondering, but now I am. Like, (laughs) what the heck? And then, I don't know, there was another one an hour later, like, just kidding, you weren't supposed to see that. But if you're still wondering, the nuclear plant is (laughs) A-OK. Smooth, guys. Super smooth. (laughs) So I'm just going to read from a a scripture in the Bible. I don't know if you you care about what the Bible is, but it's a book that was written many, 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 many years ago, and it still has a really important cultural impact for us. And I'm going to tackle some themes that uh, a lot of us are probably not very comfortable with. I thought I was going to like this chair, but I didn't. Um, So... We're going to tackle a few themes, and uh, bear with me. Wait till the end, because the end is where it gets good. But we're going to tackle an idea of, like, what sin is. What does sin mean? What, when people say that in kind of religious circles, what, what are they actually saying? Because it's kind of a vague term that's become a blanket idea for, like, everything bad ever. And that's true, but also it's not true. So we're going to kind of clarify that. But let's go to a book called Romans. If you have a Bible, you can uh, pull that Bible out. If you have uh, a Bible app, that's cool too. Um, And so Romans, I'll give you a little context on the book of Romans. Um, I like to do this so that people don't just assume uh, information or just kind of like they think, oh, I should know this. 
Uh, it's okay if you don't. Let's talk about what Romans is about. So basically what was happening in the Jewish community uh, or the early church community with uh, people who used to be Jewish people who are starting to believe in this idea that Christ came back from the dead and was the promised Messiah. Now, within the context of that, just really quickly, every Jewish person was waiting for this person to liberate them from Rome. And Jesus comes and says, I'm the guy, but I'm not liberating you from Rome. I'm liberating you from all evil, something bigger than Rome, something larger than that, or sin, if you will. So in Romans, what's happening is, is there was like a group of Gentiles, meaning not Jews, and they were kind of running the church with a bunch of people that, were, that used to be Jewish, and they kind of were mixing their traditions. But then all Jewish people got totally um, exiled from Rome, so they had to leave for a few years. And when the Jewish people came back, all the Gentile people were doing things differently than the way that they wanted them done. And they were like, what? What's going on? Why are you doing that? Why are you drinking Roman wine? Why are you eating this food? And the Gentiles were like, well, the, the, you know, this is our culture. And so basically this guy named Paul who wrote Romans, he kind of comes in, he says, hey, I'm Paul. I helped you start this church. I'm gonna give you a little bit more clarity on, on what's going on here. And let me just let you know, Paul saying, you are all on the same team. So let's stop fighting and let's find some common ground. So this verse is, is one sentence and I don't typically like doing this, but I kind of pulled it out of the, of, the, of the chapter where Paul is kind of talking about this idea where the Jews were like, we sh- the former Jews or the f- former kind of like Israeli people were saying, we should do things this way because this is the way that we used to do it. And Paul is totally level- leveling the fa- playing field. So the, the chapter is chapter three, the verse is 23. If you want to scroll there, you can. <clears throat> okay, so... It's kind of famous, a famous verse in the Bible, but we'll just, we'll read it anyways. Chapter 3, verse 23. He's leveling the playing field between Gentiles and Jewish people. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Okay. He is saying that there's no advantage based off your cultural background. There's no advantage here. You all have sinned. We're all equally guilty of this concept called sin and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Okay, so then he's saying, by the same token, you all are equally available for redemption. Because it used to just be that the Jews were available for redemption and the, and the Gentiles had to work 10 times harder. And, and what Paul is doing here is he's leveling the playing field. He's saying, nope, there is no advantage anymore to being Jewish. We're all sinners, but we all have redemption. That's the framework that a lot of what, I'm gonna, I'm gonna jump around Romans a little bit, but that's the framework, that's the attitude, that's sort of the, the mentality that, that Paul is coming at this whole part about sin and, and, and grace and, and justification. And it's this idea that we're all in this together. Cool? So let's pray. God, I thank you so much for this time together. Without you, this is just a nice motivational talk We want it to be so much more than that, God. We want you to inspire us through your scripture, through your word, through what you have to say to us, and through what Jesus did to save us from us. God, we love you. We thank you. And we're so happy that the Patriots are not in the Super Bowl. Amen. Amen.
Just kidding. Just kidding. I actually love the greatness. I love Tom Brady. I think it's amazing. I really do. I think it's incredible. Even if they were cheating the whole time. Still cool. Um, so, this series is called New Year, Same You. And my message is called New Year, Same Grace. New Year, Same Grace. I have, a, I have a confession to make. Um, some of you are getting nervous now. You're like, where's he going with this? <laughs> the pastors aren't here. Like, what's going on? Uh, I have a confession to make. Um, it's not that big of a deal, but it's something that probably a lot of you will think, oh, that's interesting. Um, many of you see me as a very kind of like well-read person, and I do try to read. I try to stay educated. Um, but my confession is, is I have never once in the history of my Christianity, completed a reading plan within the suggested number of days, okay? It's never happened. I don't know if you're in that same boat. 14 days on prayer and fasting, never made it. Didn't do it every day, I gotta be honest, okay? I tried uh, reading um, the Bible in 30 days. I got about halfway through and uh, I just fell off the wagon. It was bad news. I've never done it. I've never been able to complete something like that inside the days suggested. 21 days of not going on social media, never made it. 21 days of going to the gym, never done it, okay? I am woefully inconsistent. That is a huge part of my personality and, and kind of the same you category <laughs> that I exist in a lot of the time. And I have every intention to be good. I have every intention to do it and be great and do something hard and be like, yeah, I did that. Woo! Never made it, okay? Never made it 21 days in a row or any kind of arbitrary Christian number that we do. I don't know why. 30, 40, 14, 7, multiples of weird numbers. I don't know. Anyways, we, we are inconsistent. Or maybe you are very consistent. I will admit I am incredibly inconsistent. I'm inconsistent with my relationship with my wife. I'm inconsistent with my relationship to my job. Inconsistent in a lot of categories in my life. And so... On a deeper level, what does that look like? Well, in a lot of ways, it can look like sin. When I'm inconsistent in my relationship with my wife, when I do things that I know that I shouldn't do, and I do it anyways. No bueno. Okay, so what is sin? Let's talk a little bit about what it actually means, what the biblical writers intended when they were kind of... Uh, uh, um, talking about this concept. So, sin. The, the, the original word is a word, kata, and it means uh, to fail or miss a goal. There's a proverb that says you can, without making the right plans, you will kata your way. You'll fail to get to your destination, okay? It can be as practical as that. Um, there was a tribe of fighters in, in the, uh, the Jewish text, and one of the lines was they could throw a, a slingshot stone off the top of, you know, hit a hair on the top of your head and not kata. They could not fail. They were so sharp and so accurate that they would never fail when they did that. So it's this idea of totally missing a mark. But what is the mark? The mark is to be truly human, and that is to honor God with everything we have, and through that, honor every single person around us through that. That is what the idea of sin and failure is, 
when we don't do those things. And in our inconsistencies, that's where that comes alive. Okay, so we have this scale in a lot of, of, of times. So in this idea, kind of my first point under the category of sin, it's a failure to be truly human. We have this scale that we make up. It's called super bad versus sort of bad. So we make up this arbitrary scale where it's like some people are more eviler or more badder than other people based off the things that they do. But me, I'm like pretty much a good person. So it's like all good. Here's the problem is like we also filter under this category a second problem and it's our inability to even recognize whether we're doing good or bad. The biggest highlight of this in, in kind of not modern, modern history, but probably most common history is the idea of Nazi Germany. Hitler thought what he was doing was good. He was getting rid of an economic problem, a problem of social security, a problem of governmental security. He was eradicating a huge issue amongst the German people. And everyone was like, sign me up. Sounds great. I get richer. They get poorer. Sounds good to me. And he thought what he was doing was good. This is an utter failure, an absolute abhorrent failure to be human and understand fellow humanity. So we have this scale where we're like, well, he was really bad. Okay, but when I do everything in my power to manipulate a situation for my benefit, no matter what the cost of any other person around me, is it kind of equal? I don't know. The Bible says we've all sinned but all sinners are equally qualified for grace. It is the almost like beastly-like nature that pushes our selfish desires. Here's what Paul says. He says in Romans 7, 19 and 20, For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. So we're almost like separate from sin in a little bit of, that's what Paul's implying here. It's almost like we get taken control of and we do what we don't want to do. Ultimately, we do partner with sin. We do decide, you know what? I am going to squash this person for the promotion. We, we ultimately do make that decision and we partner up. But it's this idea of deep deep selfishness and what's at the root of our selfish desires is this concept called sin or this idea that I'm failing to be truly human. Sin is trying to drive us. It is trying to drive us. It is trying to steer the car. It is trying to take us in a direction that we think that we want to go. But I don't think we really do want to go that way. I think there's this idea in philosophy that people are either truly good or truly bad. Which one do you decide? I think we want to be both. That's why it gets so confusing. We want to be truly good. And then we also, we want to be kind of bad. Because it feels good. For a little while. Or for a long while. And then it doesn't. And then you're like, oh, what? I thought that was totally going to be awesome. And now... She hates my guts, or he hates my guts, or blah, blah, blah. Now I'm alone, empty, purposeless. People are like, you're being generic. I know people that have gone through situations like this, and you, and you watch it crush them, and it's 
hard. It's heartbreaking. Okay, so Paul is battling this idea of sin, and he throws out these concepts all throughout Romans. And if you want to go read it, it's really interesting. It's very layered, but it's very interesting. He throws out this idea of dead to sin, alive to God. So he throws out this concept of dying to our sin and becoming alive to the goodness of what God has for us. Let's talk about this. Romans 6, 11 to 14. Do we have, do we have that one? Okay, can you want to throw it up there? I want to uh, wrap myself out. It is not the English Standard Version. I sent the wrong note. Okay, so... Romans, in the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. So he's trying to set this new standard. Okay, count yourselves dead to sin. Begin to realize this is not the way that you want to live. Therefore, do not let sin, do not let sin, okay, there's that partnering idea, reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer, self, offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life. So he's, he's messing with the reverse concept. We're dying to sin, alive to God, but before that, we were dead to life and alive to sin. Where was I? Oh yeah, and offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. For sin shall no longer be your master because you are not under the law or I kind of threw this little bracket or moral perfection where you have to do everything perfectly all the time. But now you're under grace. But now you're under grace. It's like an olive branch. It's like a peace treaty. It's like a hand when you're falling. It's like, uh, hey, do you need to move on Saturday? I'll help you because moving is a sin to me. <laughs> I hate moving. Okay, let's just be honest. Like people ask me to help you move. I, I will gladly help you because I am battling the part of me that wants to be lazy. So I will gladly help you. But deep down, I'm like, oh, yeah, I'll help. So our senses, our senses start, can start to become dead to sin. We, we can start to live a life that's no longer attracted to selfish desires. We can start to live a life that's no longer interested in laziness. We can, we can start to live a life that is deadening ourselves to our own selfish desires through choices, through sometimes going right through the stop sign and getting the ticket and being like, you know what? I never want to do that again. We have control. We have control, but it's very, very hard to stay consistent without God. It's, I would beg to differ. It's probably, like, it's probably impossible. It's, it's probably not going to happen. I've been a Christian for a long time. Uh, I've been, I've heard more sermons than you've had double doubles at uh, Tim Hortons or lattes at Starbucks. Like I, I have heard so many, I've read Christian books. I've, I've, I've done this for a long, long time and I love it. But 
I never had that sort of like epic sort of Christian moment where I was a really bad person and then I kind of like became a really good person just like overnight. I didn't, I didn't have that. I didn't have that moment where it was like, oh, I'm such a recluse. I need to, I, and those moments are powerful and important, but I was so young. I could never really know. I didn't really know who I really was. And so my deadening to sin wasn't a flash moment and I changed forever. It was a process and it was a long process. And so when I was younger, um, I'm almost 30 now, you guys. I'm almost 30. You believe that? It's weird. Don't woo. No, it's bad. No, you know what? It's fine. It'll be all right. Yeah, there's hope. Yeah. So when I say when I, when I was younger, I mean probably when I first got married, I would fly off the handle. I would get so angry at stuff, I would just like flip out. And uh, one of the elements or the arenas where I do this the most is the arena of sporting athletics. Okay? I am convinced that the, uh, the opposing team has paid the referees for sure. Not one thing goes our way. Uh, I am I'm convinced that the ASHL, the Adult Safe Hockey League, is conspiring against the Hawks to never succeed ever again. It is a, it is a huge conspiracy that I am absolutely 100% convinced of. You could not show me any YouTube video that would convince me otherwise, okay? I am convinced. This is a conspiracy, and it is alive, and it is happening to us every Monday night, especially when our games start at 11.30, okay? That is, that is a sin. But... When you go through these things as a young person or, you know, as you're growing up, you start, to re- you start to think, oh, it'll go away when you're older. And then you get older. And it's New Year's, same you. And it doesn't go away. And you still don't shake the other team's hand. My brother's laughing because this happened two weeks ago. I want to tell you that overall, though, the power of Christ is helping me deaden my desire to do that, deadening the even thoughts that that I don't want to be a a good sport, deadening the idea that even is something that is acceptable. Who cares? It's literally the worst division in the country. (laughs) But there's something about us. We get so worked up. I don't know what that's about. I know, it's sin. God wants to revolutionize you. He wants to change the way you view the world, the way you view yourself, the way you view hockey, the way you view unfairness, injustice, the way you view your lack, the way you view your excess, the way you view everything. He wants to change it all. That's his desire. So you're starting to think about this, and I'm starting to think about this, how do I access this idea of change, of revolution? How do I, how do I start the journey? Well, you're in this room, you can start the journey right now, but there is an element where you come online, and, and I want to read from Psalms, and, uh, we're going to kind of go through this a little bit, but, um, this is interesting. So Psalms 32 verse 5, I acknowledge my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I'll get to what that means in a second. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. I'll get to what that means in a second. And you forgave the iniquity of my sin. 
confession is a huge part of understanding that God wants to forgive you. Now, confession has put in this category, especially in Canada, where you go to a booth and there's like a person on the other side and you just tell them everything that you ever did wrong and they give you some sort of half-baked remedy and they tell you, go do this and go do that and you'll be fine. But where that is birthed from is this idea of acknowledging and, and taking a second and taking stock and going, I need to acknowledge that I am riddled with this concept called sin. I need to just take a minute and acknowledge. I acknowledged my sin to you, God, and I did not cover my iniquity. Okay, so let's just pause there. Iniquity, what does that mean? It's a word called avon in Hebrew, um, and it, it basically is this idea of our crooked behavior and its consequences. So I did not cover my wicked behavior and its consequences. And I said, I will confess my transgressions. What does that mean? It just means a violation of trust. I confessed my violation of trust to my friends, to my, in my marriage, to my kids. Whatever element that you, you violated that trust with other people, with yourself maybe, I will confess, I will acknowledge that I'm full of this to the Lord. And you forgave the iniquity, the consequences of my failure, my kata, my inability to stay consistent. See, we think that God kind of like is waiting to judge us because that's the way that we are. <laughs> We're like waiting to judge people. Like, and we caught you. Like, you know, uh, like those crime, those crime movies where it's like, the young guy comes in, he's like, why don't we just arrest him right now? And then the old guy's like, because we got to wait for the perfect moment. You know what I'm talking about? It's like you're waiting to build the case on somebody and then you're like, bust ya. You suck, I rock. Judged. We are like that. What? Why? Because we're obsessed with justice. But God wants to take away all that failure. He will judge you, but he doesn't want to judge you. He doesn't want, he doesn't desire, he doesn't, seek out moments. He doesn't compile the evidence until the perfect moment where you're caught red-handed. He's not like that. He is full of this idea of removing your transgression, removing your iniquity, taking it on. He wants to take on your transgression. That's what he wants. Nobody wants to do that. Nobody goes, hey, you know what? This person is being accused of such and such. I'll do their prison sentence. <laughs> what? No one does that except one person. Except one person did that. One person did that. His name's Jesus. Here's the deal <clears throat> I accept the idea of sin. This is my personal kind of confession. I, ex I, I accept the concept of sin. I acknowledge that it exists and that it's alive in me. And I understand um, that it affects the people around me. And I also understand that Jesus wants to take it from me. I don't struggle with that. I totally get it. I don't know why, I just do. I accept all these major themes and concepts The thing that I struggle with, though, is the grace part. 
because God's not obsessed with the things that you did wrong. He, he, he's like, oh, okay, let's move on. But I, I just replay them over and over. The, the grace part is the hardest part. It's not even, I acknowledge that I'm a loser sometimes and a jerk. But I just replay that over and over, wishing I hadn't said that, wishing I hadn't done that, wishing I hadn't thought that. If you'll bear with me, I stole this analogy from a book. It's called Worthy World versus Graceland. We spend our time in a place called Worthy World. And um, it's kind of like Disneyland, except Disneyland's slogan is the happiest place on, on earth. And Worthy World's slogan is you only get what you deserve. And Worthy World, uh, the rides are bad. Uh, it's messy and dirty. The staff are mean. The food sucks. There's paint falling off everything. There's bath- bathrooms are nowhere to be found. It's a wasteland. But we ride these crappy rides and laugh empty laughs and tell us that everything's good. It's all good. But every once in a while, we peek over the fence to this place called Graceland and not Elvis Presley, something else. This idea of Graceland. And when we look over the fence, it's like, oh man, it looks like everybody's having so much fun. The food is awesome. There's bathrooms everywhere. It's clean. There's no crying children. What is this place? It's beautiful. And we think, ah, the tickets must be so expensive for that place. It must be so expensive. Could never get in there. It's all good. I'll just, uh, I'll just stay here. Can't, can never afford that. And one day someone peeks through the gate and says, hey, what's going on? You want to come over to Graceland? And they go, and you go, ah, no, I... I can't, I can't deserve it. And they go, and you go, I can't afford it. Can't afford it, don't deserve it. And they go, dude, you didn't know? Graceland's free. It's totally free. You're like, what? Free? No, impossible. No, that is impossible. I only get what I deserve. That is not the category of life that I want to live. Sounds good for you, but uh, you know what? I'm just going to stick with my, I get what I deserve. And it sounds like humility but it's actually just pride blocking you from accepting your free ticket to Graceland. See, in Romans 6.23, it says that the wages of sin are death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. The wage of our sin is death. The wage of our failure is death. When we think of death, we think of an end, right? Of course, right? We think death, someone's gone. They were alive and now they're gone. I want to contend that maybe this is more about the wages of sin is a death-filled life. The wages of sin is deadness. But there's a free gift of God that is eternal life in Christ Jesus. I kind of rewrote this scripture. So if you'll bear with me, think think about it this way. If you want to write this down, you can, because this is the only part of this sermon where I was like, hey, that's actually pretty good. (laughs) The cost of failure is deadness for us. The gift of life 
is costless to us. The cost of failure is deadness for us. The gift of life is costless to us. See, Jesus owns Graceland. He paid the price. He pays the staff. He makes sure there's bathrooms everywhere. The rides are painted nicely. The food is good. He paid the cost to make sure. He owns it. But he wants you to get in with no admittance fee. That is revolutionary. At the same grace that lived for these Romans, for these people that lived in this time, is, a, is available, available right now. That is what Paul is talking about. That same grace the idea that it's costless to go to Graceland. The hardest part about accepting all of this is that it's covered. It's all good. You can, yeah, you want some popcorn? Have some popcorn. Hey, you want to live in freedom and forget that crappy relationship you got into? Hey, move on. You can move on. It is a life of grace. It is a concept called grace that is alive and is real and is matters and it's and it's right in front of you right now. You don't have to live with the weight of your sin anymore. You don't have to right now. You can move on. Romans 5 puts it this way, and I really, really like this. And this is in the message. He's kind of talking about this idea, and he says, then that's not all. All. And that's not all. We throw open our doors to God and discover at the same moment that he has already thrown open his doors to us. We find ourselves standing where we always hoped we might stand in the wide open spaces of God's grace and glory. I'm struggling with this. I struggle with this. It's really hard for me to accept because I think of God as like trying to get me to be something. But what Paul is contending here is that there are wide open spaces, wide open spaces of grace and glory, huge, wide, open. It's endless. It's eternal. It's forever. Graceland is huge. You don't get bored of the rides because there's so many. Grace is huge. So every time you face that same you moment, just remember Plug this in your brain. Same you, same grace. Oh, I did it again. Same grace. Oh, I can't believe I said that again. Same grace. Same grace. Same grace. The same grace that's open to every single person is open to you. Writing this message, I was like, man, I need to get this. <laughs> I need to really get this. I need, to, I need to start to live this. If you'll excuse me, I'm going to pull out my phone and I'm going to go on Instagram, okay? Some of you are like, oh, this is part of the thing? No, I actually, uh, I just read a quote that I really love. And I'll end right here. Some of you are like, perfect, great, thank you. Okay, so. Timothy Keller, who is a 
brilliant thinker and seems to be a very sweet man. Um, he wrote this line down, and uh, I read it the other day, and I was like, whoa, that's so good. And then I kind of like, I don't know why, I just didn't want to use it. And then I'm like, now that I'm here, I'm regretting it. So that's why I just rudely pulled my phone out and went on Instagram. So here it is. The more you rejoice in your own forgiveness, the quicker you will be to forgive others. When you live in a life of Graceland, when other people totally fail you, it'd be fine. It'll be fine. I'm going to pray. Is that cool? I went four minutes and five minutes over time. Fired. But grace. I didn't actually write this message. I'm just getting lines fed to me from the front here. God, we just thank you so much that your grace is real. If sin is real, then we accept that your grace is real. We are experts in kata, which sounds like a cool martial art, but it just means failure. God, we're so good at it. But you know what you're better at? Grace. So right now, as a collective and as individuals, we set a New Year's resolution, so to speak, of accepting your grace is real, is alive, is powerful, is meaningful, and works. We just let it work. God, we love you. We are empty without you. And we ask that you would fill us with your grace right now. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. Thanks for joining us. We hope that this message encourages you, challenges you, and inspires you to see God in a real way. For more information about Poema Church, visit poemachurch.ca.